So I gotta ask you guys a question. Have you ever psyched yourself out of doing something? Have you ever gotten to that point where you were thinking you were gonna do something and you were really excited to do it and you got to that point and you were just like, I don't think I should. You just psyched yourself up. It was something good, something that you wanted to get to be a part of. My son, uh, Elijah, we were going to Michigan City. We were going to go visit with my sister and her husband, and there was going to be a food truck out there selling Jamaican food. And if anybody knows anything about me, I love food. I'm a foodie. I like to eat, and I love to eat international food. So there was this Jamaican food truck out there, and so we're excited to go out to get this food. And Elijah knew that there was this little bouncer, this little, you know those things that they have in the mall sometimes? They strap the kids in there, and they bounce up and down. They do flips, all type of stuff. So Elijah's so excited. He's like, Dad, I can't wait to get on the bouncer. I'm going to do a backflip. I'm going to do a front flip, and I'm just going to go really high. You're not going to be, I'm going to be taller than you. And everything was so exciting for him. And then we got there, and he couldn't wait. And he was like, Dad, when are we going to go to the bouncer? When are we going to go to the bouncer? And so he's walking to the bouncer. And something happened when he saw the bouncer. All of a sudden, I saw him start slowing down. I said, Elijah, you ready to go? He's like, well, I don't know if I should go on the bouncer. So I said, well, let, let's let your cousins go first. And so uh, his cousin gets on the bouncer, and she starts jumping and flipping it. He's seeing her, and he's watching. He's like, Dad, I don't think I'm going up there. I was like, why not? This is what you wanted to do. He was like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And, you know, as a dad, we always push our kids. Oh, come on, you're strong. You can do this. Go, go. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. And tears are coming down his eyes. I'm afraid. I'm so scared. I don't want to do that. But here goes the crazy thing. He had done it before. A couple years ago, we were at the mall, and he jumped on it, and he was doing flips, and he was so excited to do this. But isn't that like us? We can talk ourselves even out of the good things in life. The things that we know uh, we can be a part of, we talk ourselves out of going back to school because we're saying, you know, we, I'm too old. I don't have the resources to go back to school. We talk ourselves out of jobs that we are qualified for and just, I don't know if they'll accept me. I don't know. I got to fix my resume. I've got to fix this. And I don't know if I'll be able to get that job. And we talk ourselves out of opportunities that may change our lives or change the lives of so many people around us. Can you believe I almost talked myself out of dating Christine? You know, that lovely lady that was up here, well, the other lovely lady, as my son said, the brown lady that was up here. There was a time where I, I had this opportunity to step up and talk to Christine. I almost talked myself out of it until my friend told me he was going to try to talk to her. Then I was like, yeah, I'm all in. I wouldn't be half the man I would without that girl. Christine had just been the joy of my life, and I almost talked myself out of approaching her. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We become our own lid when we get stuck in the mud of doubt. We become our own lid when we get stuck in the mud of doubt. So what can we learn from this one verse in the book of Ruth? It's simply this, how to get unstuck. How to get out of our own way. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read verse 1 through 5 just to catch us up to where we're at. 
And then we're going to go into verse 6, and we're going to read it. Uh, we're going to go through it verse by verse, I mean, um, phrase by phrase, because there's just so much in this. So let me start in verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn to the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So we see here Naomi and her family goes to Moab. There's a famine in her land. They're looking for food. They're looking for sustenance. And out of their best intentions, they get up and they pack up the family and they go supposedly just for a few months, but they end up staying there long-term. They end up getting comfortable there. And then Naomi's husband died. And then her two sons died. So now Naomi is stuck in this land. The best intentions didn't pan out. Uh, The place that was supposed to produce life now produces death. The place that was supposed to give her food and provide uh, freedom from famine has left her hungry now. She's got a decision to make. What is she going to do at this point in time? We see that in verse number six. She could stay or she could return home where she's from. What does Naomi do? says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. This is verse 6. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The first thing she did, she arose. It says she arose with her two daughters. She decided not to stay in Moab. She decided to get up, and, and she got tired of Moab beating up on her. She was like, you know what? Why am I here? Why am I putting myself through this? Why am I letting all of this happen to me? I might as well just get up and go back. Her husband has died. Her her sons have died. She's stuck with these two Moabite uh, uh, daughters-in-law. And many of us have gotten to that point in our lives where we're sick of being where we're at. Well, we're tired of life beating us up. Well, we're tired of our relationship struggling. We're tired of the situation being what it is. And we finally stand up and say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm I'm tired of not feeling like I've achieved anything. So I'm going to go back and go to school or I'm going to go get a different job. I'm tired of this dead end job. So I'm going to do something different. I'm just tired. So I'm going to get up with all best intentions. I'm going to do something about it. We stand up. But what we realize is, Naomi, this was about to be a hard road back. This was about to be a walk of shame for Naomi. Because remember what we said in the last message. She was part of a a, a group of people from Ephratha. And this place was part of, like, you were part of the right tribe. You're part of this right family. You're in. 
And you're from Bethlehem, this blessed land. You're from this place that is, 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 is one of the chosen places that God has called his people. So not only are you from the best land, but you're from the best area. And, and it says uh, she was part of the Ephrathites from Bethlehem. In Judah, she was also from the best region. So we're talking about a prominent family here. This prominent family that has left, can you just imagine it? It's on E-Evening News. Everybody was just, Naomi and her family has left. We're watching them. Everybody goes to the grocery store, and it's on People Magazine. It's on Us Weekly. Naomi and his family, because of faithlessness, because they didn't believe in God. They left. They left the land. They vacated. They went to a different country. So now she has to think about walking back. What are people going to say? What are people going to say about me? And when I come back, and not only am I coming back by myself, now I'm bringing two pagan women with me. Our country's enemy, I'm bringing these two women with me. What are they going to say? You and our culture will we'll be saying, oh, my gosh, we, we got to make sure. You know, let's, are they legit? They're working for the enemy. She's about to walk up into this place and imagine those times in our lives where things just go public. Where where the situation that we're in, what are people going to say when I come back? What are people going to say when I walk back into church and I haven't been to church in years? What are people going to say when on my relationship status on Facebook, we were all good and now it's complicated? What are people going to say when no longer in a relationship? And a lot of us get to this point. We stop right there. We get up. We start off good. What if I get into school and I end up failing? What if I start this business or what if I go for this job and they don't hire me? We get up and then we have all these thoughts in our minds and they cause us to stop right there. We get up. But then we get stuck. This is the first point. I can't let the pressures of eternal, internal, or external voices keep me stuck. I can't let the pressures of internal or external voices keep me stuck. What are they going to say? Second part of the verse, it says then, she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So now she's not only getting up, she's going to return. She's making a movement. She's going back to where she's from. She's leaving Moab. And there's a difference between arising and returning. We can get up. We can tell ourselves we're going to do this, but it's another thing to actually do it. It's, it's one thing saying, I'm going to love my wife today, but it's another thing saying, I'm going to follow through with my actions. It's one thing to say, I'm going to proceed, and it's another thing to actually begin to do it, and many of us stop short. Many of us uh, start, but we never finish. Because comfort keeps us in Moab. I'm used to doing this. This is how life has always been. This is who I am. And we say stuff like that. This is who I am. I can't change. This is just what I'm going to do. This is 
what I've done all of my life. But let me ask you this. What has Moab done for you? Because for Naomi, Moab was the place of her greatest pain. She went there trying to find hope and she ended up lost and alone. Her sons have died. Her husband has died. And for us, this place, Moab for us, is that place where we failed. That reminds us all the time that we are a failure. What has Moab done for you? Uh, This is a place that keeps us addicted. Moab is a place that we get stuck in because of our addictions that keep us there. Moab is also a place that causes us to compromise the standards we say we have. This is the place of deferred dreams. This is the place of deep religiosity but shallow faith. Comfort keeps us in Moab. What has Moab done for us? Look at this. In in the verses beforehand, she stayed 10 years after her husband died. She gets there, her husband dies, and things are a little bit too good. The money is still coming. Things are still comfortable. Her sons are there to provide for, for all of her needs. She's got the car. She's got the house. Life is good. Everything seems great, even though she's in a place that she shouldn't be in. She's in a place that's an enemy stronghold, but comfort keeps her in Moab. But finally, it says to return to the country of Moab. This time, the loss was too great. This time, things just got so bad. This time, my wife is telling me that she's going to walk out on me. She's not only told me she's going to walk out on me, but she's packed the bags and she's ready to go. This time, I got too high and I couldn't control myself and I did some things that I shouldn't have done. This place is Moab. I've compromised my morals. The thing about being in Moab, is Moab is always going to bring you to a place of crisis. And here goes the deal. Don't let crisis be your motivator. This is the point for this. Point number two, I can't wait for crisis to be my motivator. I can't let for crisis to be my motivator. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you just, you, you, you're just pushing things back and you're pushing things back and you're pushing things back and then finally all heck breaks loose and now you've got to make that decision and you've got to move forward and you're panicking. You've got to leave Moab when you have the opportunity, not when you're forced to. I can't let crisis be my motivator. So Naomi, then she arose with her two daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people. Now here goes the thing. Here goes this prominent lady. 
She comes from a good family. She comes from a wealthy family. She leaves and goes to Moab, and, and things are going really good over there. She was only supposed to be there for a few months. It was supposed to be a short business trip to take care of, uh, of, of a little bit of business so she can gain some substance and go back home to Moab. But the text tells us, uh, verses 1 through 5, that she was supposed to go there for a little while. She was supposed to sojourn there, but she ends up resting there. and She's sitting there, and they've gotten comfortable there, and she's gotten comfortable in Moab. So if things were going so good, why is she in the fields of Moab? What is she doing in the fields? I, I, was, I was looking at this and I was just like, I wonder what she was doing in the fields. You've got everything right going for you. But you've brought to a place now where you've lost it all. And let, let's put it in modern day terms. You hear that there's great substance in Afghanistan. So you get up and take your family and you go to Afghanistan and then you lose everything in Afghanistan and now you're in the country of the enemy and then you begin to work in the opium fields just to make it. So, so now she's working in the fields of the enemy. She's sitting there trying to make a living or she's out there panhandling. She's doing something to make her family sustain. She's out in the fields of Moab. But this is the most amazing thing. She hears that God, that the Lord has visited the people and given them food. While she's still far away, God is still speaking. How awesome is that? That while we're still far away, God still pulls at our hearts. How many can testify that at one point in your life, you were far away from God, but for some reason, he brought you back because you heard God in the field of Moab. Isn't that awesome that no matter how far away, God is always so present in our lives. She was able to be reached by God in a place she shouldn't have been, with the people she shouldn't have been with, doing a thing that she shouldn't have been doing. How many of us have been there, I remember, getting ready to go to a party. You guys have heard this story a number of times. I'm sitting down and and we're getting lit, as they would say. The alcohol's flowing. We're drunk off of our minds. We're passing around the... See, some of you guys, when you smoke weed, you guys pass around a little joint. Like, we actually rolled big fatties. Like, they were thick. And it was only like four of us in there and three of them are going around and we're just getting high off of our minds. And I remember sitting there as the room just kind of calmed down. And all of a sudden, I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. There's something that I'm looking for, but I can't find it here. Even when we're far from God. 
he still speaks and she's finding herself here lost and disconnected and and feeling low and she's depressed and she hears that God is at work in the community where she's from. But this is what she does. She acts on it. She gets up. She just doesn't hear that God is at work. She moves forward with it. She heard God was at work and responded to join him. And here here goes the thing. Let me take a little commercial break here. Church isn't supposed to be a spectator sport. If we want to experience the full blessings of God that the church has to offer, that he's instituted through his local church, We've got to join God at work. We can't sit on the sideline. We will never experience the fullness of God's blessings when we sit on the sidelines. Point number three, to experience the full blessings of God, I've got to get in the game. I've got to get in the game. It can't just look good. It just can't sound good. I actually have to join God at work. If, if, if I want to make sure that I want to experience God's blessing in my marriage, I got to make sure that I'm in the game. If I want to experience God's blessings in my career, I got to make sure that I'm moving forward to doing so. To experience the full blessings of God, I've got to get in the game. And then finally here, says this, and she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. See, she had heard that God had shown compassion on his people. And we talked about in the first verse that whenever there was a famine, there was one of two things happening. Nine out of ten times, it was God. But the first thing is he was trying to get his people's attention. The second thing is they had sinned against him, and so he said, all right, I'm going to let you guys have it. I'm going to allow your, your situation to become so bad, hopefully to remind you that I am the one that you're looking for. Whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever it is that you're trying to do, this life that you're trying to live, I'm going to show you that it doesn't amount to anything if I'm not the center of your world. So she heard that God had finally moved in Bethlehem. She heard that God had shown compassion and provided for food. And it didn't say that the people of Bethlehem had gotten better. It didn't say they had repented and turned from their wicked ways. It just said that God had provided food. God had provided mercy. God was working on the behalf of his people. And isn't that awesome about God that he works despite us? God continues to work despite us. We can't help him. We can't add anything to him. He doesn't owe us anything. But despite who we are, God continues to work on our behalf. And I love this quote. It says, God doesn't need our righteousness for him to be faithful. God's righteousness in us causes us to be faithful to him. God doesn't need our righteousness to be faithful. But his righteousness in us causes us to be faithful to him in this giving them food. Remember we talked about in the first sermon that Bethlehem was called the house of bread? 
That was the name of the city. And when it says here that God had given them food, it literally is meaning in the Hebrew that food is God had given them bread. There was finally house in, there was finally bread in the house of bread. And I don't believe the, the, the motivation was because of the bread back home. I think Naomi finally realized the issue all at hand. She had gone to Moab out of faithlessness. And God was still able to provide food. God was showed mercy on a people who didn't deserve it. And she knew if she went back home, she would be a recipient of that same grace and mercy that God provided. God's presence for people who are returning to him is a sign of grace and mercy. People don't come back saying, God owes me. When we come back to faith, if you were like me, I just wanted anything that God had. God, whatever you have, I want. I want to experience this new life that you have to offer. And I'm going to come back to you for that reason. And God has instituted his local church to be that number one vehicle to preach the salvation message in which people will be saved. And people are returning home. They're looking for grace. They're looking for mercy. And this is Naomi is making this long trek back home. Doesn't care what anybody else is going to say. Doesn't care that she may be ridiculed as the faithless one. But she walks back into that place and maybe there's somebody here who just needs to walk back and accept the grace and the mercy that God has already here waiting for you. And for all of us in here, that's why we have to commit to leaving Moab and going back to the house of bread. What do I mean? See, Moab is different for all of us. For some of us, we went to Moab. For some of us, we were born in Moab and we just became a part of Moab unknowingly. But for all of us, we have Moab in our lives. For some of us, Moab is a place of sin. It's that place that we go to when we need that, that, that pacifying thing. When we're depressed, when we're sad and we run to these things to make us feel better. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a substance. For some of us, Moab is a place of sin. For some of us, Moab is a place of brokenness and pain. Moab is the place where you were molested. Moab was the place where he beat you or, or she abandoned you. Moab is a place where you're hurting. For some of us, Moab is a place of fear. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to make it. I'll, I'll never be able to do that thing. Moab keeps us in fear and for some of us, Moab is a place of religious stronghold. This is how I've always done things. I don't do that. I can't be a part of that. Uh, this is who I am at church. I've got this church face on. 
But everywhere else, I can be whatever I want to be. So I come and put up this facade for some of us. Moab is a place of religious stronghold. But for all of us, Moab is a place of death. Moab is a place that kills our dreams. It kills our hope. It kills our faith. That's why we have to commit to leaving Moab and go back to the house of bread. See, for Naomi, she left Moab because there was bread in Bethlehem. There was mercy in Bethlehem. And there's another story. In fact, in the last sermon series, we talked about this story. It was called The Prodigal Son. This young man uh, left his home, kind of like Naomi and her family, and they left and went to a foreign land. He went and he took money. He told his dad, I'm tired of growing up in this house. I'm tired of all of this rules and regulations. I want to just live a life that I want to live. And so he left and he ran away to a foreign land thinking that he was going to find joy and happiness. And we find out in the story that he ends up losing everything. That kind of happens in Moab. It strips us of all of our dignity. And this young man has found himself now working in the fields of a foreign land. He's sitting, uh, eating the same stuff that they feed pigs because that's the only thing that he can find. There's hunger in him. There's a famine in his life. And then he comes to his head. God meets him out there, I believe, because he says, why am I here when there's bread in my father's house? He knew that there would be bread in his father's house, more than in his mercy at his father's house. Maybe my father will let me at least become a servant. So he heads home, headed towards the bread. And then there's another story where Jesus is with a group of individuals. These individuals, some of them are, are, know that they're lost. Some of them know that they're in need in their lives. And some of them have no clue that they're as broken as they think they are. And Jesus tells them this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here goes the last point in verse 4. God's ability to meet my needs is based on his mercy, not on my actions. Here's the bottom line. Don't psych yourself out of the blessings that God has for you. Commit to leaving Moab and accept the bread of life in your life. His name is Jesus Christ. There you'll find mercy. There you'll find grace. There you'll find protection. And there you will find life like you've never experienced it ever. Let's pray. God, thank you 
for sending the bread of life, Jesus Christ. God, all of us have Moab in our lives. All of us have those things in our lives that keep us from experiencing the fullness of your blessings in our lives. God, Moab looks different for all of us, but we all have Moab. And this morning, God, I'm praying that you will work in our lives to convict our hearts to leave Moab and run to the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ. Not because we want to evoke blessings, but because there's already blessings there waiting for us. God, I pray for somebody in this space who has never given their heart to you. They're comfortable in their place of Moab. Maybe they don't even recognize that Moab is killing them. Maybe because everything is going so good around them right now, they feel like there's no need to leave Moab. But God, I pray that crisis will not be that individual's motivator. I pray that they will come back to you, that they will go and run to Jesus before everything hits the fan. God, work in our lives, Lord. Transform our hearts that we may experience the fullness of your love and your grace and your mercy. And we ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ, and for his sake alone. Amen.